anything special on it today, Pastor? Glad you're here. Glad I'm here. <laughs> glad I'm here. It's nice that y'all are here, but I'm really glad I'm here. Uh, <laughs> that's right. That's right. House cleaning choice today. So, uh, amen. Amen. Some of us regret that, but uh, you'll see. You'll see. <clears throat> so, um, I'll call the doctor this week uh, to make an appointment. Nothing serious, you know, just call the doctor and um, press three to schedule an appointment. So I press three and I listen to the music and I listen to the music. I listen, about a half an hour listening to piano music and I said, you know what, I, I feel better. <laughs> I don't need it after all. Click. And I said, yeah, if I get feeling bad, I'll call him again maybe. Amen. No, well, hey, I, I don't even need it. I, I'll pay it because I felt better after just sitting on hold for a half hour. I was, uh, was feeling good. And I say that because uh, that's often the way it is, is that once I feel better, I, I'm good, right? I usually have sinus infections this time of year. I'm pretty bad about them, and I, once I get them, I tend to hang on to them. There's a reason why I tend to hang on to them, and that is because, well, I go to the doctor, right, and I tell him, I said, man, I need, the, I need the, like the lethal stuff. Like, give me the antibiotic that, that, like, curls your toes. I want it all taken out. And he says, okay, six days of this, and you'll be good to go. Well, if a miracle happens, because day three, I'm feeling fine. And I don't need the rest of that stuff. So I, I put them in a drawer with that, you know, break in case of emergency. And, uh, and I'm like, well, you know, I'm, I'm good. And then the infection comes back, and I go to the doctor, and I say, man, I... I took the medicine, and then I felt better, and then I started feeling bad. I took the rest of the medicine, and I'm, it's still, it won't go away. And he said, listen to me. you got to take the whole thing, the whole time, and, but I don't. I take it until it's good, until I feel good enough. And I'm like, that's, that's, we're good. We're good. I thought about you all when I was sitting on hold, because you're the same way, I have a feeling. Not about medical things, because some of you are very faithful. The doctor tells you to, to jump through a wall, you'll, you'll run through it. But, but maybe about spiritual things. You get good enough, and you're like, okay, that's close enough, Jesus. I don't, I don't really need to get any closer. I, my, my life's kind of in order now. We're going to get to that. We're in this series uh, of messages based on Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, it begins with 12 verses that have become known as the Beatitudes, attitudes that we are to have, right, that we're to live with. We're to, we're to have these attitudes about life. And, and they've been pretty powerful, but they've been, they've been easy up until today. I'll just forewarn you that today, up until today, these things have been pretty easy. We started with the first one, the, the, the realization choice, right? The one where the reality choice, where we're going to realize that I'm not God. Well, no shock there, right? No surprise. I, I know I'm not God, right? That, but that I admit that I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing. Oh, yeah, I guess I am. Because if I'd have fixed it, I already would have. Right? If I could stop worrying, I would have already stopped worrying. If I could stop driving too fast, if I could stop overeating, if I could stop working too much, if I could stop smoking, if I could stop drinking, if I could stop all these things, I already would have. So admitting that I'm powerless to control that. That my life is unmanageable. Ultimately, my life is unmanageable. And I know that that's like... But many of us could say that and be honest. Could say that, could answer that first choice. 
Yes. But there's hope. That was the second choice, right? That To earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to Him, and that He alone has the power to help me change. This is the, the seed of faith. This is where like, we, we start to get a glimpse of what God could do. We start to see what, what He wants to do. And, and it's really the beginning of faith. It's where it starts, with that choice right there. Last week, we, I said that the message last week was the one that, that this whole series hinged on. Is the, the thing that we talked about last week, and if you weren't there, I'll just give you the, the cliff notes. It was what we call the, the commitment choice. The commitment choice, to consciously choose to commit all of my life and will to Christ's care and control. It's a surrender choice. It's a choice of saying, God, you're in control. You have authority over my life. Like, to commit, to consciously commit, to choose to, to live under the authority of God. Not, not equal to God, like I'm going to be under his authority. What, when, when, what God says to do, I'm going to seek to do. It's a big deal. That's a big deal. That's a, the surrender. That's, that's telling God, I can't, but you can. Help me. That's answering that help me by surrendering our, our control to his. That's where we were last week. This coming week, I'm going to take several days off from work this week to, to, in order to go down and work on our house down on Ken Island. We had a, a renter in our home uh, on Ken Island for, well, it's the last several years, but uh, they just recently moved out. And they moved out without telling us. So we found out like a month later, and I was like, oh, my goodness, I bet there's nothing left in that house. I bet they took the sheetrock out. You know, I mean, I'm like all these, because I hear nightmare stories from other people who rent, other pastors who rent their homes, and we're not good landlords, by the way. Uh, so so I, was, I had all these ideas about what could have happened in our house, right? And so Michelle says, well, let's go down there. I said, no, let me go down there. <laughs> like, let's, let me go down and see it, and then let me prepare you to see it. Uh, so I went, and I, you know, I'm, I'm really, I, I don't know if I was praying, but I, I, in my mind, I had to have been, because I was like, oh, Lord, please, like, don't let this be bad, right? Don't let this be bad. And I got there, and it wasn't bad. Most everything was as in place as it should be. I mean, there, was, there were a few things that I noticed right away, but as I spent probably a couple of hours there, I began to notice things. And where I was, like, oh, man, whew, this is going to be a piece of cake. And as I spent a couple of hours there that afternoon, just kind of looking at things, going through everything, I noticed, wow, man, these windows are filthy. Michelle is never going to let that pass. Man, the floor, wow, it's all scuffed up. I'm going to have to buff it and re-wax it. Man, that's going to, whoa. Man, the trash is everywhere. And it's not big trash. It's like little things. Like, like imagine this. Someone moved out of the house and didn't clean it. But I wouldn't do that either, so I'm not like, <laughs> I might pay somebody to do it, but I am, I'm, I'm gone. So I couldn't really, you know, I'm not going to fault them for that, right? It's just, it need to be cleaned a lot. The blinds need to be replaced, little nicks on the wall, so all the walls need to be painted. And the more I stayed there that afternoon, the longer I spent there, the more I noticed things that need to be fixed, replaced, whatever. Finally, I just had to leave. <laughs> well, like this is this job's getting bigger and bigger and bigger the longer I stay here. That's what this step is all about, actually. This step is all about that. That house cleaning. It's about we know we're not perfect, right? So that's not a big deal. We know that we we can believe that God is. That's believable. We can trust Him, yes. But this step is about getting close to Him. 
getting so close to him and allowing him to show us what's out of place in our lives. That's what this step is about. But we don't have to fear this step, even though for many of us, this choice is going to be pretty intimidating if you are so bold to take it. See, but we shouldn't be. Jesus says it right here. For everyone has fallen short of the standard of God. All of us have fallen short of the standard of God. We shouldn't be surprised. I mean, you could look at the person next to you. They've fallen short. They have. Every one of, every one of now, now, you may think, well, yeah, but I haven't fallen short like them. <laughs> well, and unfortunately, some people are looking at you when they say that. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, we could all say that. Well, at least I'm, I'm not as bad off as they are, or he is, she is. I haven't done that. Well, maybe. But we have all fallen short. We've all missed the goal. We all have some house cleaning to do. Every one of us. And that's what this step is. The house cleaning choice is, is to openly examine and confess my faults to myself. You say, oh yeah, I can do that. To God. Ooh. Okay. And then the, the kicker, and to someone I trust. What? Preacher, now you're going crazy. I'm not confessing anything to anybody. I'll do it to God, but hear me out. Before you make that judgment, before you, you, you get to the end already... Hear me out. Because I believe that while this is hard, this step is extremely difficult. It's extremely important to living a healed life. To being healed from our life's hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Right? It's important. I believe God wants every one of us to take, make this choice. I honestly believe that. That he wants all of us, I don't care how long you've been sitting in that pew, that he wants you to make this choice. But also understand that it's, it's a choice that's terrifying. To tell somebody else, to, let, to show somebody else my baggage, I, can, I hear you. That's anxiety causing because we don't know how, what they'll think, right? I, and I've shared with you as, as we've gone through this series of messages that, that I've experienced change because I've experienced healing in this. You know, I have found it myself. So I can tell you that the process works. The process works. See, I, I grew up in a d- pretty dysfunctional family, as many of you may have, right? My dad worked a lot. My mom seemed angry all the time. Now that I had a son, I understand, understood her ang- anger a little more, right? But between my mom and my dad, there, there, I didn't see a whole lot of signs of, you know, there wasn't a lot of affection. Not even with those kids that I recall. I mean, I don't remember there being a lot. There was a lot of expectation. A lot of expectation. But not a lot of recognition. Not a lot of recognition. What I mean by that is, is that uh, if, if you got B's, so what, what, if you just studied just a little more, you could have gotten A's. Or if you got an A-, minus, it was like, well, did anybody make an A+. Plus? You know, like, just reminding me that there was a little more that you could have done. There was a little more that you left on the table. And how that's affected me or shaped me or, you know, how that's caused me to react. I mean, I don't think my parents did that on purpose. But they, they, put, they made me feel like I was under a microscope, right? I don't think that was their intent. But the, the, the result of that has been that it makes me to be a pleaser. 
it makes it hard for me to say no. So when you ask me to do something, <laughs> and I want to say no, it's like, yeah, but then they'll think, you know, then they'll take it personal. You know, I start rationalizing in my head that I have to say yes. Well, no, I don't have to say yes. But something about not measuring up tells me that uh, you got to say yes. You got to, you got to, and you can do it. You just got to do it. Makes it hard to say no. My parents got a divorce when I was really young, and my relationship with them really deteriorated uh, with both of them, actually. So that, that kind of plays itself out in my life today is that it's hard for me to trust people. Now you may say, well, yeah, but you're like here telling us all this stuff right now. And yeah, but I don't trust you. <laughs> like it's hard for me to trust you because I've gotten used to people letting me down. I kind of expect it. So when you let me down... It just it's just affirmation, right? So when people disappoint me or whatever, it's okay. I expected it anyway, right? So when people don't, it shocks me. Like when people treat me like Jesus does, that blows my mind. A lot of things from our past continue to shape us. One, another one? There's more, but there's just one more. There's one more, and I'll stop. But uh, my idea, my understanding of, of sex and sexuality came from magazines under my grandfather's bed. Continues to shape my thinking today, I'll sadly admit. There's probably not many men in this room that don't have that same experience, something similar, especially to young people today. But you see, I don't have to accept that the way things were is the way things have to be. I don't have to accept that. I have a choice. We have a choice, this house cleaning choice, this choice to clean my heart, to sweep it out, to clean the windows. Some of you have experienced things that you would have never invited into your life, and you would never want to include in anyone's life, just, just as I have. You know, you've, you've experienced divorce, addictions, infidelity, abuse, abortion. You've been let down by people. You've let other people down. One thing we all share in common is there is enough guilt and shame to go around for all of us. Right? There is no lack in guilt and shame in this world. But because we've gone through it does not mean that we have to live in it. We can find God in the midst of our mess. We can find God in this. It's possible. It's what this choice is all about. Actually, it's this beatitude, the fourth beatitude that we have. In verse 8 of Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Regardless of your circumstances, if you're pure-hearted, you will see God. (laughs) It's that simple. Have a pure heart. Let's go to lunch. (laughs) Right? It's, It's that simple. The end. Done. It is that simple. But see, being pure hearted, or that another word that Different translations in your Bible may use for that pure-hearted is sincere at heart. To be a sincere-hearted. And that, that, that word sincere, in another way, not just sincere, but, but sifted. The Greek word there means sifted. Have you seen the combines up and down the road? That's what those machines do, is they sift the grain from the weeds, the chaff, the stalk, all of that. They sift everything out except 
the seed. So when we think of pure-hearted, we think of undefiled, like it's never come in contact with anything bad. And, and, all, and we're sitting here thinking, how can I be pure-hearted? I'm, all the stuff I've seen and done, and like I can never be pure-hearted. But no, what, what, think of it as sifted. Like, like all the impurities have been sifted out of my life. The pure-hearted, those with a sifted heart, will see God. We'll see God. Now, sifting is a process, sometimes a painful process, a difficult process. But it's God's process for us. Like Jesus said, that he came so that we would have life in all its fullness. And part of that, and the way to have that life is to have a sifted heart, to be purified, to have all the impurities taken out. Jesus wants us to have this life. He didn't just say, be holy. He says, I'm, this time I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you this way. This sifting is a move of God to clean us from the inside out. We call it, in the church, we call it God's grace at work in our lives, right? Sanctification. That's what us church folk call it. Cleaning us up from the inside out. But oftentimes, you and I, we want to, we'd prefer to just clean the outside. It's like, uh, you know, we were down in our house and Michelle says, we need to clean the windows outside. And I'm like, well, you, you already cleaned them inside. She said, you need to bring me a ladder and cut these bushes down so I can get up against the house and we can clean the windows. And I said, we've got to clean the outside too? I mean, the inside, she said, yes. I said, why? She said, just, get, just do what I say. Something to that effect. Just do what I'm telling you. And I said, yes, ma'am. <laughs> right? <laughs> but, but, but see, I, I wanted to just deal with what was in here, right, inside. And I got to thinking how different that is about our spiritual lives. When it comes to our spiritual life, man, I am much more comfortable looking good on the outside. I don't want to deal with this stuff in here. I'll play the part. I'll look like Joe Christian, right? I'll, I'll do what I'm supposed to do. I'll be a good person. Man, don't make me, don't make me look inside. <laughs> I don't want to clean inside. We don't want to. Jesus didn't come to give us religion. He came to set us free. Not to look the part, but to be the part. And religion, I'm not down in religion. I'm not like, what we do here, I love it, right? I'm not down in that. But what I'm saying is that, that what we do here is a poor substitute for what he wants to do in here. Like the best we can sing together, the best we can pray together, the best we can worship together and, and be in fellowship together, the best of that is a poor substitute for what he wants to do in me. It's just window dressing. That's what Jesus referred to the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees as whitewashed tombs, right? They're dead on the inside. They look good on the outside, but they're dead on the inside. See, Jesus doesn't want me to be religious. He wants me to be free. Free. Completely free. Free from, from religion, yes, but also free from the guilt and shame that I try to use, I try to cover up with religion, with being good. So whether it's my hurts and habits and hang-ups that I struggle with and I say, you know, I, it's not that bad. Like, I don't drink that much. I don't smoke that much. Like, I don't, I don't spend that much over the budget. 
I mean, it's not that bad. My anger is only an issue with just one person. If I can stay away from one person, it's not really an issue at all. Like, like my, my problems aren't really that bad. I can tell myself that. Or I can tell myself that I'll just be good enough. I'm good enough. I'm not. Both of those bind us to the past. Both of those ways of thinking bind us to the past. They keep us trapped. And in Galatians 5, 1, Jesus said that Christ, or Paul said, that Christ came to set us free so that we would make sure that we don't get tied up again in the slavery to the law. Or he could have said to guilt, to get tied up again to shame. But be set free, to be free, to live freely. Yes, Jesus came to set us free from sin and from anything else that binds us. Anything else that holds us back from being who He created us to be, He set us free from that. Nothing is is stronger than the the power of Christ at at work in us. Nothing is stronger than the power of Christ at work in you. Nothing. So we don't have to hide. We don't have to feel guilt or shame. We can be free. This is the process of sanctification. And it happens by God's grace. God at work in us. That's where this pure heart comes from. It's not based on how good I've been, you've been. It's based on God, His goodness. God's grace is just that. It's God's goodness. Undeserved favor of God. Undeserved. We don't deserve it. But He gives it to us anyway. Our heart becoming exactly what God, not only mean the one beating in our chest, but our heart, our lives, becoming exactly what God wanted us to become. God knows us. David wrote this, O Lord, you've examined my heart, and you know everything about me. So why try to hide? Why try to hide? Every, he knows everything. There's nothing that you've thought that he doesn't know. Nothing you've done, not done, no victory, no failure that he's not aware of. Why do we waste our time trying to hide? It's silly when you think about it. Well, if, if God knows everything about me, then why hasn't he delivered me? Why, why doesn't he set me free? Why, why do I still struggle? Doesn't he care? Absolutely. Absolutely he cares. That's why I believe that this process of sanctification is God's way for us to live into that freedom, to be healed completely. This is also the reason why I believe that, that most Christians today, I mean not most, a lot of Christians today, this is the, more of the process that we go through, right? We, we, we find Jesus somehow, somebody introduces to him, we're like, yeah, that's where I'm at. I'm I've made a lot of mistakes. I need forgiveness. And so we confess our sins to God. And we, and we, we, we start to live for Jesus. And then, then he says, well, this is what you need to be healed, right? This is, this is what you need to get over that sinus infection. Let's take this for six days. And we get, well, you, you tell me how far you get. We're good with confession, right? Conf- confess our sins to God. That's what the Scripture says. He's faithful and just and will forgive us of all our sins. Purify us. That's the start, confession. 
And then repentance. We're okay with that one too. We, we kind of get our minds around that, that. That okay, I tell God, I'm sorry, Lord, I'm sorry. And he says, okay, now turn from your sin. Repent, which means turn. That's all it means. Turn from your sin and follow me. Okay, I get that. I can, I can understand that because if I don't turn, I'm, I can be forgiven and still be pursuing sin, right? Forgive me, Lord, and I keep going that way. Forgive me, God. <laughs> then he says, well, turn around. and Maybe I wonder if you won't have to ask so often, right? So just turn around, repent, go back the other way. As the writer of Lamentations said, examine our ways, test them, and return to the Lord. So he says, he doesn't say test them and you'll be right. No, he says, test them and they're going to fail. Your ways are going to fail. And then you can return to God. Repent. And he welcomes us back. Why? Because he loves us. Just like the son and the prodigal son. He welcomed him back. It didn't matter what he had done. He knew what he had done. He welcomed him back because he loved him. Just because he loved his son, don't let us get the idea that he's okay with our sin. God is not okay with our sin. He hates it. You know why he's got such a, such a I believe, a, a strong hatred for our sin is because we become a Christian. We, we repent, we confess, we, we do all that, and God says, yes, I'm going to send my spirit to be alive in you, Dickie Porter. And then Dickie Porter goes out and lives any old way he wants. Well, well he's an image bearer of God. And so the world sees us in our sin, and they're like, well, I thought you were different. See, and that's what God doesn't like, is that you're, you're ruining his reputation, right? I mean, you're, you're really, you're destroying, like, you're diminishing God's ability, power in your life when you say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, but we don't live that way. It, it's, it's about, that's why our sin is offensive, because we are image bearers of God. And he's not going to be satisfied with us living any old way we want. He doesn't like sin, but he loves us. Don't ever doubt that. He loves us. And so he forgives us in equal proportion to your sin. If you're a big sinner, well, guess what? You get big forgiveness. Ha ha! Amen! Right? We love that. We love stories like that. We love to hear stories about prostitutes who were struck out on heroin and, and somebody gave them a, a flyer about Jesus and they said, Wow! And they surrendered right on the spot, and they were delivered. And a limo pulled up and took them to this big fancy, big church where they met. We love those stories, right? Everybody loves those stories of, of miraculous delivery from addictions, from, from pain. We, we love hearing that. It's no different, though, for someone who faithfully walks and overcomes a series of smaller sins. It's no different. The transformation is no different. The grace is no different. It's total. It's total. So your hang-up may be something way less than hers. Well inside of hers. The forgiveness is the same. Complete. Complete. Many of us get satisfied there. <laughs> We're done. I've repented. I've confessed. I'm done. I'm good. I'm good. Well, if you're a Wesleyan... A, Arminian, a Methodist, if, you're, if your understanding of, of, of salvation is like ours, you read a passage like Philippians 2.12 and 13. It says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. 
For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. Continue to work out your salvation. Continue to work out your salvation. It's not a one and done. It's a one and two and three. And, you know, it's one. It's a, it's a process, right? It's sifting. It's being sifted. It's growing. That's the thing that I believe that many of us stop at. In the growing part, we, we, we hesitate. Because that's the way of salvation. Growing in love with God. Getting close to Him in order to see us as we truly are. As He sees us. Not, not our eternal state, but our earthly state. Allowing us to see our hearts as, he, as they truly are in comparison to His. Remembering that, that his, He promises forgiveness. That He will love us. That, we, that He will never lie to us. That he, that he cares and He wants to bring us into freedom. Not just to bring us from death to life, but to set us free. And this is a pathway. It's a process. Happier the pure in heart, for they will see God. It's a journey to get there. I had a wedding yesterday, and, uh, and I told them that, that, you know, you're just getting started, and you're not good at this yet. I said, you're not good at being married. You will be. You'll get better. But today, your first day of being married, you're not very good at it. Tomorrow, you'll be better. And 25, 30, 40 years from now, you'll be great. But it's a process. It's a process of growing in our understanding with each other. Do you want a pure heart? Do you want to see God at work in your life? In your family? In your household? In your business? In your friendships, in your relationships, I believe you do. That's why you're here. Do you want to see God there? Do you want to do you want to experience God's freedom? I believe we do. Then you have to let the Lord set you free. You have to let God set you free. And there's a process to that. That's the working out of our salvation. That's the, it starts with that forgiveness that, that King David talked about here in Psalm 23. I acknowledge my sin to you and did not cover it up. I didn't hide anything from you, God. I made a list. Because <laughs> we can say that. We can, a lot of times when we confess our sin to God, we, we say, God, I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sin. Stop doing that. Be specific. What did you do? Like, own your sin. Forgive me, Lord, for disrespecting my wife. Forgive me, God, for dwelling on that webpage too long. Forgive me for making judgments about people that I have no business making judgments of. Be specific. When we, we know everybody, you know you're a sinner. Like, that's nothing, that's, no, that's not really a prayer. Like, be clear. What is your sin? Name it. Don't keep your sin in the dark. Tell God. But that's not it. That's not, that's not all of it about growing, there's another part about growing that is difficult for us. James, the brother of Jesus, he kind of wrote his, he wrote very much a parallel to the Sermon on the Mount. The book of James is very, uh, a good parallel to the Sermon on the Mount, actually. In James 5.16, he says this, it fits very well with what Jesus said. Confess your sins to each other, pray for each other, so that you may be healed. 
prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Tell others. Tell someone about the sin and the struggle that you have. That's how we find healing. You see, oftentimes we're good with all of this other stuff up until this point. Up until tell somebody else. Somebody who's going to have permission to ask. Somebody who's going to have permission to encourage me knowing when I face difficulties, when I get stressed. They know that that sin is going to pop up and they can encourage me. Hey, be on your toes because you know what's coming, right? I need people like that who are going to tell me those things. You do too. People that need to know what's going on in your life. We need that. When there's a story in the the Gospel of John where where, uh, Jesus was called back to Jerusalem, back to see his friend Lazarus who had died. Mary and Martha came out and fussed at him. right? And what did Jesus do when he got there? He called out Lazarus. Lazarus, come out. Right? Dead man. Called him out of the tomb. What did he do? He came out. He walked right out. Raised him to life right there on the spot. He walked out of the tomb. And he stinketh, they said. Right? <laughs> That's what the Bible says. That's what King James says. He stinketh. And so, but then what happened? Then what did Jesus say? He said, remove the grave clothes from binding him. Take them off. Unbind him. And who is he telling to do that? Everybody else. Right? He's telling others to get involved and setting him free. It's the same way in our lives that we need others to help us seek freedom. To seek freedom. We can be forgiven. We can repent, confess, we can, and all that. But, but if we want to be healed, then we've got to include others in our, in our circle. Wesleyans have always known that. Methodists, that's where we started. They call them bands. Not rock bands, not country bands, but they were bands of accountability. Groups of two, three, five, two or three usually, or five at the most. People who held each other accountable. People they could tell, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I struggle with. That was where it all started. That was where all this idea of support groups and, and all that sort of thing, it all came from, from a, a movement trying to reclaim the church. Because church folk had just been okay with being religious. And John Wesley said, no, 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 we need to get beyond being religious. We need to get real with each other and help each other really fight the things that we struggle with, that we can be set free. And Methodism changed the world in that day. Tell someone. Find someone you can tell. It will change everything. It may sound like an easy, simple step, but it's not easy. So I encourage you to pray as you pray. Pray to make a list of, your, of the things you struggle with, the things that has happened to you. Like, write them down. You may say, oh, I don't know if I would. Yes, take an hour of your time and write down what, you, what it is you do, what you need to be forgiven for, what you are forgiven for, and what you struggle with. Tell God. That's what it means to examine yourself. Confess it to God. And then, tell, then begin to pray for someone you can trust to tell. A person, an individual, maybe two, that you can tell, that you can let into your life. And as you pray, remember these three things. One, remember God's kindness. God loves you. 
He wants what's, he's good. We sang that song. He is good. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There's none. No condemnation for you if you were in Christ. You've got to remember who you are. Created by God. Purchased by the blood of His Son. And filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. That's who you are. There is no condemnation for you. Have you done everything perfectly? No. But there's, you have no reason to feel guilt or shame. Remember who you are. Remember God's kindness. Remember God's faithfulness. Remember God's faithfulness. That He will forgive. That He has. He will deliver you perfect upon the day. That He wants to help us keep our lives free from sin. That other people may give up on you, they may walk out, they may close the door, but God will never leave you nor forsaken you. God will never give up on you. He will always be fighting for you, not against you, but for you. He's not ashamed of you. He loves you. And that's the last one. Remember His promises. Remember His promises. We confess our sins. He's faithful and just and will forgive us and purify us. He's making us new. It's in Ezekiel 36 where God is taking our heart of stone and making it into a heart of flesh. He wants to make us completely new. So I want you to take courage and take this choice. Make this choice to recognize that God is at work in you, that He's already started this process, that He knows what a pure heart in you looks like. He's drawing you in that direction. That's the way he's trying to move you. And what he's asking you today is to join me in this work. Like, like I want you to trust me in this. He's given each of us a pure heart. And he's drawing us to become who we were created to be. Expect that freedom to come your way. Expect freedom to be the reward. It's coming. That is the house cleaning choice. That is the choice that he wants for us. That we would openly examine and confess my faults to myself, to God, and to someone I trust. I thought about you all this week, and I thought about myself this week at football practice. We were running, no, I said it again. We weren't running anything. They were running, and I was standing on the sideline. (laughs) <laughs> that's how it works, right? We weren't running. <laughs> so they were running, and they were running sprints. And I, one thing that really irritates me, and I, and I think it's because of the way my parents like, had expectations for us, that it drives me crazy when people don't finish. Like, it drives drive myself crazy when I don't finish, and I do it to myself. But, but they, would run the, they would run 50 yards and back, and, and like, that's the finish the sideline, they were supposed to run through the sideline, and they would stop about this far away and kind of just mosey through or kind of just stop through the line. Instead of run through the line, I was like, it was just driving me insane. Like, why don't you finish? In our case, why don't we finish the race? You know, why don't we finish? Like, let's, let's, let's not be satisfied with good enough. Let's not be satisfied with clean outside, let's, get it, let's allow God to do what he wants to do in us. You can't do this on your own. That's the good news, bad news of the whole thing. 
God can do it. Today it's appropriate that we would share Holy Communion on a day where we need God's grace because this is hard work. This is difficult. This is probably the most difficult message of this whole series. Well, it is the most difficult thing. Letting someone else into your life is hard. I know that. But it matters. I'd like to pray for you. God, we love you. And we thank you for giving us a choice that making healing a possibility in our lives, Lord. I ask you, God, that, that you would do something today. God, move in such a way that we'd be drawn close to you. God, that we'd, we'd get close to you. We would see ourselves for, for, for how, not, not for who we are, because we are who you say we are. But God, all the things that, that distract us from living, to, from becoming that. There's so many things that cause us to, to, to fall short. We don't want to fall short any longer, Lord. We want to live for you. Because God, we ask for your grace today. We thank you for, for giving us this choice for allowing us to choose to live as your disciple. Thank you.